0: Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her.
1: And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning.
0: This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on Season 3. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, We'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too.
1: During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens.
0: Thanks for listening!
1: Now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to a very special bonus episode of Prophecy Girls podcast. Cara and I are so excited. Cara, introduce our guest.
0: We have with us Kendara Blake, author of In Every Generation, the new Buffy young adult tie-in novel from Disney Hyperion. Hi, Kendara.
2: Hi. Thank you for having
1: me. Welcome. We're so excited to have you here. And you are our first guest star on the podcast. And it's coming at a very important time because I think when this episode airs, it'll be twenty-five year anniversary since Buffy premiered, uh, and then also it's going to be our one year anniversary for the podcast. We just finished season three.
2: Oh wow! Timing. Did you guys do that on purpose? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, Worked
0: out this way. Actually, <laughs> we're just really lucky.
1: Yeah, we're really lucky that it lined up this way, and we're we're so happy to have you here. Uh, Cara and I were sent copies of your book. Early so that we could read them and get out our reviews. Cara did a review for our, uh the book on TikTok. So, like the first question I have, like right off the bat, is how nervous were you to take up the Buffy storyline, knowing that it's been around for this long, that you know, original fans like Cara and I, like yourself, are still so ravenous for material, but are very precious about it. So, like, what? So, tell us about that thought process.
2: It was pretty much just what you described. I was extremely excited about the prospect. So the first maybe 48 hours were bouncing around, jumping up and down. But then you start to think about it and you start to realize, you know, I started to realize exactly what it was going to entail. And I thought about myself as a Buffy fan and how hard I am on things from the Buffy person. They're going to be just as hard on me. Oh, my gosh, I can't take it. And. It was very intimidating coming at it from an official capacity, you know, something that was endorsed by the Buffy creative team and and brought to us by Disney, um, who owns the right to Buffy now. And I knew because as fans, we all Buffy's been with us now for, well, twenty-five years. And she kind of belongs to us all and we all have our own head cannons. She's been off mm-hmm. the air for a long, long time, but really never that far from our hearts and minds. So we all have different hopes and different um, headcanons for the characters. And I knew I had to, that was something that I had to resign myself to early on as much as I would love to please every single Buffy fan because I, I am a Buffy fan and I love Buffy fans and the fandom is amazing. I knew that some people were going to think I got it totally wrong. And I kind of just had to make my piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: How, how did you get into Buffy? Were you watching it when it first was it being broadcast or did you come to it later?
2: I watched it when it was first being broadcast. I didn't catch it until um, sometime in season two. And then I had to backtrack, which I remember was very difficult because we're talking time before DVRs, before, you know, TiVo, that old thing. <laughs> um, I had to catch all of the season one replays, like on repeats during the summer, like by stalking my TV guide, you just couldn't <laughs> find it. They didn't even release them on DVD or anything. So yeah. joining a series in the middle of it wasn't like it was today where you could just go like, Oh, this is cool. Okay. I'm going to watch it from the beginning. No, it was a mm-hmm. project. Um, but, but in, by then I was, I was hooked. Like I watched season 2 through the end and then I caught up on the rest of it and then it was over for me. I was in it to win it.
1: Just like off the top of your head, your favorite season that you like from your early
2: watches? Oh gosh. Any? Hey, it's probably Okay. This is like a weird. I really like season 4. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which is odd, I think. I like season 4 and I like season 6.
0: Sorry, I guess we should mention at this point for our listeners There will probably be spoilers for future seasons of Buffy that we haven't covered yet on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Just a heads up.
2: (laughs) I think those are maybe the least popular seasons when it comes to overall, but I think season six, while it was kind of a downer, it had very brilliant moments. Like it has Mm. some of my favorite episodes are actually in season six and the same with season four. Um, As far from a storytelling standpoint, I mean, season two and season three were outstanding. But it's hard to look at Buffy and think about what you like, what was your least favorite? Like, that's mm-hmm. it's I can point to like an episode here or there that I don't tend to rewatch very often, but for mm-hmm. the most part, I love it all.
0: I find that as I rewatch the series over and over as I get older, that my, the ways I connect to the different seasons have changed. So I've said this on the podcast before. I'm really excited to be getting into season four with Stephanie here because. Historically, I didn't like season four, but I think a lot of that was because I first watched it before I was in college and university when I was in high school. So I didn't relate to what the characters were going through. And now that I'm older and I'm looking back on that time in my life, every time I watch season four now, I like it a little bit more. So I'm really interested to see what happens on this rewatch.
1: Yeah, the same goes for characters too. Uh, Like I view Joyce completely different on this rewatch than I ever did before. Is it because I'm closer to her age now (laughs) than when I was a teenager? Very likely, but that's, that's cool. That's what I like about the rewatch.
0: Well, that's what you were also saying about uh, Giles and his (laughs) attractiveness.
2: I've heard that Giles hits different.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also Giles is much more attractive to me now
2: (laughs) than ever before. Like I, when I was watching it, I never understood why Willow had a crush on him. (laughs) <laughs> and you know the scenes when he's like got his guitar and uh, she and Tara are just like a little swoony. I'm like, what? What's going on, you guys? Yeah. This is he's so this, old. He's so old. Yeah, yeah. And now I watch it and I'm like, oh, I'm
1: like, I get it's it. Not too bad. <laughs> it's nice though, and that feels like we're growing up with the characters, and that we're like, you know. Um, Understanding them on different levels as we age as well, and same with the show. Like uh, I'm sure you said, you've listened to a couple of our episodes, but um, uh, Cara and I, as we pick through it, we're like, you know, there's something to be said for the way this show has grown up and the way that we view it from today's standards. Yes, it's it's just a nice little memory box <laughs> that it's fun to open and be nostalgic about, but also be critical of.
2: Yes, that's that's something I enjoy about your podcast is it's 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 got like that the same, um, you know, commentary, but also like critique and exploration of it from a different point of view and a different time period. Looking back is is um, is definitely, definitely interesting.
0: Thank
2: you. (laughs) I mean, you mentioned like growing up, like the characters grew up on the show. When we see Buffy in season one, she's a totally different person than she is at the end of season seven. Like season one, Buffy is a girl. She's a teenage girl. And season seven, Buffy is like woman, you know? (laughs) She has grown up. Um, So that was actually something that I had to struggle with a little bit when I was writing In Every Generation. Because part of the point in In Every Generation is yes, to honor the original show and to have that great nostalgia hit and to see our favorite characters again, but also to bring in the new generation. Um, because, I mean, the end goal is to get teenagers to watch Buffy. Isn't that the point of everything? Buffy forever, new generations of (laughs) Buffy, new Buffy fans, Buffy fans from four years old, Buffy fans, you know, to 80. That's what we want. And writing Frankie, who is a 16-year-old girl and a fairly youngish, sheltered 16-year-old girl, like Willow's been a pretty on-top-of-it mom, um, that was hard, because in my mind, Buffy is such a grown-up show because Mm -hmm. I'm leaving it off of season seven and I'm used to Slayers who have it together and they, you know, they're heroes already. And then I was, I had to remember that, yes, I am writing within this established world and these characters have been there, done that they're old heroes, but also Frankie is new. And I am writing it for teens too. So it was hard to balance between I'm writing it for the fans Mm -hmm. and I'm writing it for the teens, fans and teens, fans and teens. So it was, to yeah, you, you, you've
0: got that double-edged purpose, yeah. where yeah, you want to appeal to the old fans, you want to bring in in the new teenagers. So something I was really curious about, given the fact that Buffy is now twenty five years old, our world has changed so much since then. You know, we have technology that didn't exist back when Buffy was on the air. So did you have any any challenges in terms of the plot or the characters trying to write a Buffy story for the world that we have now?
2: Well, the one thing I decided early on is that Sunnydale is a fantasy land, and they will not have COVID anywhere, and I will not hear of it, and I'm going to pretend that it doesn't exist. We appreciate yes. that choice. Great choice. <laughs> Even though it's kind of set in contemporary times, I just didn't want – I'm like, no, this is my escape from this, and I'm not putting it in there. Um but, yeah, for sure. the thing the meme that comes immediately to mind is, you know, when the apocalypse comes, beat me. Like she had a pager. <laughs> and now, of course, Frankie has smartphones. They can do research on the fly. Spike becomes the new librarian, and he has to have one of those like touchers to help him his cold fingers interact with all the touchscreens. I, I mean, love that, so yeah, yeah, there was yeah,
0: I like those little details where mm-hmm. it was like you were really thinking hard but like wait a minute but he's a vampire so
1: but the library still has an occult section that's never been scrubbed
2: from the curriculum i guess (laughs) that just keeps going in there i kind of think of that as like um the mayor's nefarious influence as Mm. if he formed the city of sunnydale right on the Hellmouth, and no matter Mm. how many times it's rebuilt it will always be a tiny bit evil and dumb (laughs) <laughs> like, you will yeah. always force people to rebuild directly on top of it with a high school that's like they're yeah. just inexplicably drawn to that site
1: when i got to that moment in the book uh, when they were saying yeah they built it right where the old one was like something about nostalgia and i was like that is perfect <laughs> That is it's exactly where we want that high school to be <laughs> it
2: just has to be you know and it's so it's so metaphorical you know high school is like the, the center of all evil
1: and that's what I liked. It's like, like you're saying, you're trying to balance that nostalgia and like f- introducing it to the new crowd. Well, it's not Buffy unless it, high school is on a Hellmouth, right? So bringing it back to that made a lot of sense uh, to what you're just saying, the Instagram monster, <laughs> the Instagram demon. Uh, I was like really entertained by that. And I mm-hmm. love that it was oh, like, I'm glad. I'm glad. No, it was really, okay. really interesting.
0: Do you have any fun details about planning out the new Sunnydale that maybe didn't make it into the book that you'd like to share with us?
2: Ooh. Well, I think, I mean, in future books, we're going to see more of New Sunnydale. And by the way, New Sunnydale is kind of where, have you heard the, the phrase or the idea that in every fantasy, you're allowed like one logical foul? Like, okay. You know, like, yeah, that would never happen, but you get one and I'll just go with it. So the fact that Sunnydale could be rebuilt on top of the huge gaping sinkhole that we see in the season seven finale, that's like our gimme. I know it couldn't possibly happen, but but it did. So, okay. <laughs> that's just how it well,
0: well, it is California. Real estate values are really, really high there right now. Land <laughs> is very hard to come by. So I actually, I'm not surprised that some enterprising developer was like, We'll just fill it with a bunch of gravel. It'll be fine. Yeah, just
2: fill it in. No big deal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They couldn't possibly let that go to waste. That is money in the bank.
0: That, that's closer to your day job, Steph.
2: Yeah,
1: it is. It is. Uh, and I was also curious. It's like they built a whole city, and like, uh, like, how long were you giving them to build it? Twenty years? <laughs> I was like, that's fantastic. <laughs> Like sixteen, <laughs> you're not. I'm not getting, I'm not complaining at all. I think that that was brilliant. I love that Like it's new Sunnydale. Cause I didn't know when I opened the book, I was like, where are we going to be? Are we going to be in Seattle or where, where Cleveland, like wherever the, the next town is. So it was nice yeah. to be
2: brought back home. I am so glad too because Sunnydale, it's such, it had such a feel, the world of Sunnydale, the city of Sunnydale, Sunnydale university. It, it had such, you know, I mean, it, that's that's the place. So I would have been really depressed to have to write about Cleveland. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with Cleveland. <laughs> to all our <laughs> Cleveland <laughs> listeners, <laughs> so sorry. <laughs>
1: not sorry.
2: Yeah, we're not sorry. I think they'd want to
1: be in Sunnydale too. Uh, so when you went back to start writing and you were choosing which characters were going to be brought back to the new series walk us through that. Like, were you like, okay, yeah, Spike, obviously fan favorite, but Buffy's not there. So i was just like, what are your thoughts?
2: Okay. So unfortunately that wasn't me. Um, the Buffy team developed this pitch. So they decided when they came to me, the proposal was with this concept. So it was Frankie. She already had a name. She was already a Slayer, which, um, they knew she was Willow's daughter. Willow was there clearly, since it is about her daughter. Oz would be there. Um, his werewolf nephew would be there. Although, interestingly, in the in the pitch, it was supposed to be Jordy, the original biter. Mm. And I was like, hey, I don't know if the math works. I think Jordy might be too old. I like Googled um, how young you could possibly ge- be to get your adult teeth and. Like, at the very youngest, Jordy still would have been too old to hang out with Frankie and her friends. (laughs) Appropriately. And we created Jake. So we (laughs) created Luke's werewolf baby to be more um, Frankie's age. And Haley was in the pitch as Vi's younger sister. The explosion that happens at Slayer Fest was the inciting incident. And Spike being the watcher and the librarian. That was all given to me. Oh, okay.
0: okay. And Interesting.
2: so was Sigmund. Like, Sigmund was there too. But all they really told me about Sigmund was that he was a sage demon and that he was would come in to help with research. So I got to decide who Sigmund was and what exactly a sage demon was and what yeah. that entailed. So, so that was fun.
1: Okay, so there's a lot of room for you to use your imagination, but you, obviously they gave you a couple of these, like, key... Elements. I was actually very surprised to see Oz. Honestly, I thought like within the overall show that he was gone, that he's just, I'm out of here. So to bring him back, I thought was actually kind of a treat. I was like, oh, Oz is part of this. Well, and I also
0: really liked that you didn't spend too much time trying to explain to the established Buffy fans every detail of how we got to now, right? Like you laid some groundwork for that, but there wasn't a huge amount of exposition where you're like, and this is why Oz ended up back in Sunnydale. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just kind of like he's here, he's taking care of his werewolf nephew, like deal with it. Yeah, that's
1: what it is. So just uh, jump on was it get on the train or get off the tracks on
2: the two. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I mean, okay, do you want to know like a s okay, I don't know. This is just purely my conjecture. But when I um when I When I read the pitch and I realized who they wanted to bring back to it, I was, what instantly popped into my head was like, you guys are thinking about making a show, aren't you? Like that was my, like, Willow, still an active actress. Oz, still an active actor. We just saw him in that great Super Bowl ad as Scott Evil. Yes, yes, yes. Hilarious. Yeah, amazing. James Marsters. Still very active. And even though he's said in interviews, I've heard him say that he couldn't play Spike anymore because Spike doesn't age. Well, I've conveniently solved that problem for him in the very first Mm -hmm. chapters. So come on back, James. Go (laughs) right ahead. And (laughs) That's brilliant. By the Slayer played by Felicia Day. Felicia Day is still very active. So just in their choices of who was going to show up, I was like, hmm. Okay, so you guys are leaving the door open for this, aren't you? And I got, you know, just very excited just from a fan's perspective because if if that was, if they were going to reboot Buffy, which I totally think they should, come on. Everybody's getting a reboot. Can't we have ours? Yes. Like, I would love to see these characters come back in some capacity.
0: So, do you have any like fan casts going on in your head of actors you'd like to see? Either playing familiar characters or new characters?
2: Oh, like for Frankie and the new Scoobies? Hmm. That's so tough. No. I
0: Yeah, I have I trouble am... doing fan casts too, but I had to ask. <laughs> Our listeners want to know.
2: I am not up on the new teen actors. That is. <laughs> what about <laughs> just like an
0: established actor that you'd love to see in the Buffy universe?
2: Or who is playing oh. the Countess? Oh my
1: gosh. Okay. Um did you guys watch Fringe? Yes. Exactly. I like Anna Torv. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. that's a good choice. She's great. She would do it. She listens to us, obviously. She would- <laughs> She's listening right now. <laughs> She's a fan. Yeah. Yeah, fan casting is its like fun. And it's like, I feel like people get too far into the wishful thinking though. So when they do end up casting people, they're like, what? That's not what I imagined in my brain, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do try to stay away from that. People often ask if, you know, to fan cast my books or, and I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I'm just interested in, if we get a Buffy reboot, having more diversity in Sunnydale, right? Having Sunnydale not be so white.
2: Yes. Yes. That was um, a conversation that we had because we want it you know, it's, it's a new generation and the generations have changed. The world has changed. It's not the Sunnydale of 1997 anymore. It's the Sunnydale of 2020. So we wanted it to reflect that. And um, my editors and I were very, very cognizant of, of trying to inject that reality, just to reflect the reality of our times. So Sigmund is black He's a half-demon, and Haley is like a second-generation First Nation Soto. And I see that Korean, the good-looking
1: Korean boy in their school.
2: Yes, which my editor almost – she's like, should we really have him be so prominently featured? I feel like the chemistry between them might throw it (laughs) off, and then he kind of just disappears. No, you needed him. No, I I really – I really want him there because I, I have some plans for Sam Han in the next book, and uh, yeah, so it was it was just kind of like a little cameo introduction.
1: Yeah, during our rewatch of seasons one to three so far, uh, I point out a lot that the only Asians in Sunnydale are vampires. (laughs) Like There's probably possibly the same vampire Asian that like keeps getting killed over and over and over again. Uh, (laughs) So so that was something that I was looking forward to in the book was to see a little bit more diversity and you definitely delivered on that. But yeah, for sure. Thank you for the Korean boy. (laughs) I was like, I can't
2: wait to see his casting. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to think about... uh the asian representation in the show too and the only one i could think of was um that early episode of angel i think it's in the first season and bai Ling guest stars as a princess from like a, a demon dimension who's trying to save the women of her demon dimension mm-hmm. oh yeah being like
0: that's not i a... think it was
2: a, a metaphor for mutilation oh like gender mutilation yeah. and Um, But she's trying to save like this fin that they have on their back that holds all their creativity and their sexuality and um, freedom of expression. And I remember in the episode, it was really kind of funny because when they're turned on, that fin will glow red and so, of course, every time she was around Angel, it was, like, just glowing red. <laughs> Why? <What>? Because Angel's <laughs> such a thirst trap. It's like, well, yeah. really? Come on.
1: <laughs> Cara. there's so many jokes in my head right now. Because <laughs> like, I am I love Angel. Like, I'm in love with that man. Um, so perhaps my fin glows red whenever he's on screen, too. I don't know. Um, but that is so funny. And that makes me really want to rewatch Angel right after we're done this.
0: There's also um, the Chinese Slayer. That's by
1: Jules. Oh, oh, yes. Of course. Yeah. And then in season seven, there's a potential is not there, uh, but she doesn't speak English.
0: Mm. Of course not. Oh, <laughs> of
1: course not. I mm-hmm. think she dies too. Um, but yeah, the, so the representation is just not there. It's, not, it's something that um, I wouldn't have picked up on when I was young because it was so, I was so used to seeing only white casts and that was normal. But definitely now it's like when we watch, you're like, ooh, like <laughs> we... You know, we can do better now, for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now it seems like something's missing, unless it's in a certain setting, like a a, a very small, exclusive setting. But if you're watching something in a city like Sunnydale, and it was just a whole white, it would feel very strange.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: I agree. So did you read the comics? I have, but not all of them. Um, I was really excited when season eight came out. Because like everybody, I just missed Buffy so much and I wished it could have gone on into eternity. And so when season eight came out and it was canon and um, the original creators were involved and it was signed off on, I was very excited about it. But I've never so, been so a just huge... to
0: clarify, because I wasn't sure. So season eight is canon with In Every Generation?
2: No, actually. Okay. That's where it gets complicated. Because <laughs> for the purposes of this... Series, this trilogy, I was only instructed to take into account the shows Buffy and Angel. Gotcha. So, while for the fandom we know that the comics are canon, in every generation diverges from that, and I don't know if I mean it's in every generation is an official novel. You know, it's it's put forth by the Buffy creative team, the Buffy property, but we don't know if it's going to be like a, like an AU, like a canon alternate universe, or Whoa. or what's What's as on. somebody think... who hasn't
0: read any of the comics, I'm not mad about that I okay <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> personally I find like I've, I've read some of the wiki articles about the comics and I'm just like, wow because that's the thing about comics you know is, is comics have so much more latitude when it comes to what they can accomplish that sometimes things get weird real fast <laughs> yeah. And, um, so yeah I just I was curious because the way that you kind of worked things into the book it felt like, you weren't really contradicting a lot of what has been established in, in the comics. Um, but it just wasn't clear to me. So I really appreciate you clearing that up.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, I think, a, I think a lot of people have been, I've gotten a lot of questions about that. Like, do I need to read the comics first? Um, how much do I need to have watched? Do I need to have seen angel? And there actually, I mean, there are certain things that you would be confused about if you hadn't watched angel, like why spikes alive. That would be confusing oh, true, true, if you true. just watched the season seven <laughs> finale. And even if you watched Angel all the way through to the end, you might still be confused. That was one thing that I was surprised that they let me explain. Uh, because at, at one point in In Every Generation, Spike kind of tells you what happened when they faced that dragon at the, at the end of Angel. And yeah, just- I was like, oh, is that going to stick? I mean, are they going to let me? And they're like, yeah. Sure. I mean,
0: Spike is well known for embellishing his stories, so... Yeah,
2: he could just be an unreliable he's a very convenient, Yeah, very convenient character to write. I loved writing Spike.
0: I, I swear, I had this strange, I don't know if you call it a Mandela effect or whatever, but like, I had convinced myself that Spike loses an arm in the Angel fin- finale. And I actually, like when I was reading the book, I'm like, why is there no mention that Spike is missing an arm? <laughs> so I had to go back. <laughs> I had to go back and rewatch like the final c- scenes in the Angel finale to convince myself I was wrong.
1: I had a question about that, actually, because, OK, so I know I didn't read the comics, but I like Kara, I would follow up on Wikipedia and, you know, get my fix that way. Uh, but I know that Xander and Don get together in the comics and in the books they are to get in, in your book, they are together. It doesn't say that they're like together, together from what I can remember, but it, they are for sure in the same
2: spot. So I'm curious, like, are they together in your book? Um, in my brain, uh, they're not. <laughs> Good. In my brain, they're not. Um, yeah. But I did put them in the same spot because, and in the first in the first draft of this, Xander wasn't in it at all. Like he, he wasn't on the page because I hadn't been explicitly told that I could use... Use him, mm. and having never worked with IP before, and having heard um, weird stories about you know authors getting their hands slapped or having chapters cut when they included a character that they weren't supposed to be using, I just left him off. And then my editor said, "Hey, wouldn't all of this news be better coming through Xander?" And I said, "Well, yes. Can <laughs> I use Xander?" She's like, "Of course. Yeah. Like, okay." And then I popped him in there, and it was it was nice to see him. It was nice to have him around. Uh, but I still wanted him off page, and I wanted Don off page too. I don't blame you for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's your book; you can do whatever you want.
0: <laughs> well, she couldn't. She couldn't is what she's saying. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate this uh, diplomatic description <laughs> of the writing process here because I can imagine that, like writing, you know, for a property like this must be very dif- different from just writing your own original property.
2: It is for. I mean. In some ways, it's easier because there's so much that's already established. I don't have Mm -hmm. to build characters because we know them. I just have to write them true to who they are, which is a significant challenge, honestly. Mm -hmm. But uh, Sunnydale is a world, um, I don't have to lay down a lot of backstory. You can get a lot on context. People aren't coming to it fresh. So, yeah, but there are certain things that I just, I I still have to obey the Sunnydale rules. It's very important.
1: Are there plans to bring back even more characters in the future?
2: Hmm. Well, yes. (laughs) I'm about to start edits on book two very shortly, like this week. And so I don't know, um, book two, the first draft is written, but I don't know what's going to stay, but I loved writing all the callbacks to the original show, putting all those Easter eggs in and references to the actors and references to past episodes. That was maybe my favorite part of the entire project. And just when I thought I would run out of them, there's a ton in book two. So I will never run out of them. There will always be places to insert Buffy references into Buffy books.
0: Did you do like a whole rewatch of the series before you started writing?
2: not before but like concurrently when i okay. when i signed on to do it i was already under contract for a couple of books of my own and so we had to kind of wedge the buffy books in to my schedule in a way that also worked with the buffy schedule because they were trying to time it so that it would release during the 25th anniversary celebrations and i only had like 3 months to do the first draft, which is faster than I write any of my books, like way faster. And I wasn't even sure that I could do it. So I started a rewatch. I actually had a friend who'd never seen it, so I couldn't let that stand. So we started the rewatch <laughs> together. And I think by the time I started writing it, I had to start writing it. I had no time to spare. We were in the beginning of season two. So it was kind of concurrent. And I just continued writing and watching. And it was totally immersive, which was fun. Wow. Wow
1: i just i'm curious to know because i would just be so nervous to take on these characters i think you did a great job like spike bounced off the page like every everything he said was like i'm like yep that's him willow was really good but also a little bit more mature from how i remember her well we're still with her in high school so it's different (laughs) but yeah like which character was the hardest one
2: to to get the voice of oh willow absolutely absolutely willow for lots of reasons and oz because let's not forget, Oz doesn't like to say much. <laughs> yeah. So when you've got a nonverbal character on screen, they can do a lot expressively. But mm-hmm. on the page, it's kind of difficult. But Willow was, was the hardest one. Spike's easy. He's got such a strong personality. And he really just insists upon himself in such a fashion that the words just fly right out of his mouth. And he's fabulous. But Willow, for one thing, as a fandom, I think we're the most protective of her. I do I think part of because of who she is, just she was this this timid um, wallflower that so many of us could relate to when the show began, and then she came into her own strength and had this amazing arc, amazing story arc over the course of the series. So we're protective of her like Buffy is protective of her. She's our willow, and also because she's a gay icon. like she's not just gay, she's a gay icon she she was gay on TV when you were not gay on TV. And I think that's really important to people. I think that they really hold that dear. And also, so I wanted to be careful of that, but I also had to be very just, I thought a lot about where Willow would be with a teenage daughter Mm -hmm. who was called as a slayer. And how she would feel and completely, it's completely changed the way she thinks about Joyce. Like she's having terrible flashbacks of what they did to Joyce when they were (laughs) teenagers, just running around and making Joyce stay at home, sleepless nights, just clutching her pillow. Uh, And now she relates to that, but she also knows slayers. So she's not going to be a Joyce and hold Frankie back. She's going to let her be a slayer, but all those feelings, those motherly feelings would still be there and she's you know she hasn't had a serious relationship in a long time and now she's got this new slayer on her plate and man when's she gonna find the time to do any of this stuff like willow has a lot going on character wise in this book but the focus was meant to be on frankie and the establishment of her scooby gang so a lot of the willow stuff kind of got pushed to the back burner even though i tried to convey a little bit of what she was going through but in the next book I'm trying to bring Willow's um, conflicts up to the forefront. So with Oz back in Willow's life full time for the first time since they've broken up and he went off werewolfing, they've just kind of fallen into this co-parenting pattern and they've just kind of ignored any any weirdness or any awkwardness and just leaned into that. But from a fan's perspective, I didn't want them to have it all settled and all neat and tidy when everything started. I kind of wanted it to be messy because it would be. Will is gay, but also he's her first boyfriend, and she still cares about him a lot, and he still like loves the heck out of her. So there's a lot of weirdness going on, and I wanted to have them work it out on the page somehow. So my editor and I, we talked about that a lot, you know, and, and we didn't want it to come off as a like will-they-won't-they they kind of thing which I worry that it kind of has, but it's not meant to be that. It's meant to be, hey, this is kind of messy, even though we're two people who really care about each other. We're going to have to figure it out, but we're busy right now, and we're blatantly not going to talk about it. (laughs) But in the next book, I kind of chuck a complication in between those two, and they have to talk about it. So hijinks will ensue. So excited for that. So,
0: As an aromantic person, I really appreciated the fact that you were portraying Uh, Willow and Oz is kind of in this queer platonic relationship where it's like there's something there, but it is different from what heteronormative society tells us uh, a a relationship should be like, right? And I I liked that. I liked the complexity of it. I know that some readers, uh, especially Buffy fans, will probably be very disappointed in the fact that there isn't more explicit queerness and gayness in the book. And I, obviously, I hope to see, see that change in the books to come, but I think you did a really good job of establishing that Willow and Oz can spend time together and co-parent, but there doesn't have to be like an official label on their relationship.
2: Right, right. At least not at this, like, they, they definitely have some stuff to figure out, and um, there's, there's going to be some, some complications, But, and it was, it was, it was hard to nail. And in the first drafts, I got it totally wrong. Thank goodness for sensitivity readers, because I mean, I, that's why we have sensitivity readers is to identify the blind spots. Mm -hmm. And so the sensitivity Mm -hmm. reader came through and, and they were like, Hey, and I was like, Oh, (laughs) so, Mm -hmm. and we just went back and forth. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And so many of things were, you don't know about your blind spots. That's why they call them blind spots. And it was very eye-opening. Yeah,
0: I, I, I noticed some of that because I started reading NARC from NetGalley before my oh, copy goodness. of the, the book arrived. And when I <laughs> so I was reading it. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I went, so I went back and when I, when I got my physical copy, I actually kind of went through and kind of looked up a couple of things. I'm like, oh yeah, that got changed. And I, I was quite impressed, actually. It's nice to see the effect that sensitivity readers can have on these books.
2: Yeah. And I was, I was, I was very kind of, uh, I felt very weird about that, that the arcs had to be printed before the reads were finished because like, I think every, every arc I sent out personally, I sent with a note that said, <laughs> hi, um, this isn't finished. <laughs> were still in sensitivity reads when this was happening. So many things have been changed and altered. Um, But yeah, it was, it was, you know, I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to get things wrong, but it's, I mean, I, that's, that's why they're there. That's what they're there for. So I just had Mm -hmm. to get over my embarrassment and, and change it.
1: Like, like I said earlier, I was surprised to see Oz back, but when I was seeing this relationship between the two of them, like like to what Kara's saying, it's so refreshing. It's like, wow, look at them co-parent. Um, but I loved it. Like if you said you didn't want it to come across as like, will they, won't they? I was living for it. I was like, yeah, like, (laughs) will they, will they not? Like, are they going to jump back into old
0: feelings? (laughs) But that goes to the show itself, right? Because the show has always had complicated relationships where you have characters who have attractions for each other in various ways. Sometimes they act on those attractions. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get together. Sometimes they're apart. Sometimes they're kind of together, kind of apart. It's very messy. It's a very messy show. And, and why shouldn't the books be the same?
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, and the mess and the the chemistry between the characters, actually, I mean, this is not a spoiler in any way because it doesn't factor in large into the book, but I do kind of mess around. Did you guys notice that there's, you know, there's like kind of weird chemistry between Willow and Spike sometimes? I'm thinking, like particularly, like the gross chemistry where uh, he's he's like bite impotent.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and she's season like, four. No, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. You try again. Yeah, we we'll totally do. We can Make try again later. You're, and he tells her, you know, you're so biteable in that little pink <laughs> thing that you wear. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of mess around with that a little bit in book two, <laughs> too, um, completely innocently, but to Frankie's utter horror. That's what I had fun I have with.
0: to say, I really really appreciate that you didn't do a love triangle between Frankie,
1: Haley and Jake. Yet? Oh. <laughs> yes. Or is it coming? Yes.
2: Well, um, you know, I when I'm creating characters, I kind of like to chemistry test them as if they're real people or actors that I'm, you know, doing a show with. I love that. So when I was drafting I would write all these different scenes and I'd kind of just throw them into rooms together in different combinations and see what happened. Like to see who played well off each other and to see like, Hmm, because at first, I don't know. Is there something between Frankie and Jake? Let's find out. Is there something between Haley and Jake? Let's see. And so I would put those characters in and kind of let them flirt a little bit and see what happened. And um, the configuration came out as it was. But I always like to do that. That's a really good way for me to get to know characters, whether I'm writing for Buffy or writing my own stuff. I'm often just kind of throwing characters into rooms and seeing, seeing what goes on behind those closed doors. Well, I'm somebody who always reads into that
1: stuff. Like, that's what I'm here for. You know what I mean? So, like, I was like, yeah, Haley and Jake are totally going to get together. Frankie will be jealous, but then she's met Sigmund and there's going to be a whole thing. But then Sigmund and Haley, like, I was like, (laughs) I was lining up the couples on on my end. Um, But that's what I liked about it, too, because, like, it's like they're young. They're teens. Like, of course, they're going to be crushing, you know, everybody that comes into their path, especially if they're cute. Yes. What I was thinking too when I was reading, because again, we're coming from the original series and we're reading this brand new story, uh, but I couldn't help but think, I was like, oh my God, like Spike and Angel dated Buffy when she was Frankie's age. And the idea of them being interested in her here in this book and Frankie, who is 16 or 15 or 16, I was like horrified. I was like, (laughs) why is this not okay? But it was okay back then, you know?
2: that's something that we went back and forth on too because as you know there is a hot mysterious broody demon in the book uh -hmm. who's called the hunter of thrace and he is you know hot and broody but (laughs) immortal so i mean he's even older than than angel and spike like he's like a thousand years old or something two thousand years old i think and you were like god is he really gonna take a shine to Frankie? I mean, she's sixteen. How gross is this? This is just not right. And we're like, but, but he's so hot, and <laughs> he's, just, so he's so broody. And so broody, though. <laughs> how can that's like Slayer catnip? She can't stay away from that hot broody <laughs> demon type.
0: Is that just part of the Slayer power set?
2: <laughs> yeah, that it, it's kind of like you know. And here's your bonus. You also get a hot broody demon. Yeah, it's a perk. (laughs) It's a job perk. (laughs) Superpowers, hot broody demon, check. You get a ball cap, it's fine. Um, But we just decided, you know, I think the Phantom expects it. So let's just see what happens. Let's just...
1: Yeah. Uh lean into it. <laughs> lean into those instincts because we want to read
2: about it. <laughs> like girls have been falling teenage girls have been falling in love with vampires since time immemorial. So who Freddy, are we to change it? Tale as old as time, if you ask me. As yes. long as it's
1: not Spike falling in love with Frankie, I think we're good. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's totally wrong. Like he's her he's her grandpa uncle. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: Was the Countess included in the pitch you received, or was that your idea?
2: No, they let me go with all of the... Okay, well, the main overarching plot of uh, the Slayer explosion and the uh, reasons behind it, that was in the pitch. But everything else, I tried to structure this book as like a season one. So I wanted some monsters of the week. I wanted a big bad. And then I wanted Frankie to have something else to fight over the next course of the book. So the big overarching thing, that's the slayers and what happened to them. But my big bad was the countess and she was my invention. Uh, The Instagram demon, that was one of my monsters of the week. That was, and I had I was ambitious. I had all these ideas for Monsters of the Week that I wanted to pop in. I'm like, and this episode will do this, and this episode mm-hmm. will do this. And then I started <laughs> writing the book and realized just how many words that took. Uh, mm. And I had to chop most of them out.
1: The contest like was actually quite scary. There was the scene where she um, killed all those uh, teens in a row. I think there were, like she lined them up, and she killed four, and then I think she had her minion, kill the other four and often Carr and i are pointing out like very horrific things that happen on the show that are like brushed aside it's like yeah that's terrible but we're not going to think hard on it but i thought hard on what you did because <laughs> i was like whoa my god that's so horrible
0: well i r- i really liked the countess as mm-hmm. a big bad as it's an antagonist scary. because well and i got the sense and correct me if i well no i don't most authors don't like to correct readers <laughs> um My interpretation was that you were trying to make us underestimate the Countess at first. Because she's not that threatening when we first meet her. She's camp, much like some of the early Buffy villains. And her threat level kind of escalates as the story goes on. And I really liked that.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm glad. She was fun to write. Um, She kind of gave me like, kind of Glory Master vibes. Like if Glory yeah. and the Master yes. had a baby, a hot master, something, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the Countess, because the they, they do, have... but a little
0: bit more unhinged because she's more interested yeah. in her her vanity than in whatever it was the Master ultimately wanted—taking over the world or something unimportant like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, she has the Countess had a very strange morality. Um, she has a very strange code of conduct, uh, but yeah, she was she was a lot of fun to write, and some of the scenes that happened with her. That was the only scene where I was like, you know, if they ever the the final scene with the Countess, the final fight, I thought, you know, if they ever try to film this, this is they got to take this off screen because it's getting kind of gross. (laughs) Like There's a lot of chopping and yeah,
1: yeah, that
2: that was one of the only but I tried to temper it with humor. That's that's the thing I love about Buffy as a show is no matter how horrifying it gets, they like just interject it with some humor and just lighten it right up so i, I call even... it snark
0: against the darkness
2: <laughs> yes oh my god yes <laughs> snark against the darkness i love it even the scariest episodes like uh, hush are also some of the funniest episodes and yes. i loved how nimble the show was and how it balanced those high dramatic moments with these moments of just hilarity and levity and you know could also be really funny
1: yeah that's, that's why i like jake so much i thought jake brought in a lot of that humor
2: he did yeah, Jake's um, he's he is he's like the werewolf heart of the group. You know, he's like that lovable. I think there's at one point where Frankie's thinking about the nature of the Scoobies and who would be who in the new configuration. Mm. And she's like, the Slayer should probably be Daphne, but clearly I'm a Velma. And then <laughs> she's like, Jake probably thinks he's Fred, but obviously he's Scooby. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. yes, Jake <laughs> is totally scooby he's the sweet tail waggy heart of the bunch
0: i just like that he's not xander
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh i've been so enjoying your xander snark it's okay xander slander
1: which episodes of ours did you listen to
2: i listened to enemies um i listened to choices and then I think I backtracked for one of the early ones from season one, but I don't remember which one oh it Oh, dear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
0: Steph's a little self-conscious about season one. Yeah.
1: Well, it's like your first time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like when I saw Xander in this book, um, I was like, he's an adult, Steph. He's not a teenage boy anymore. <laughs> he's a watcher now or something, or he's, he's doing important things in the Yeah, he's,
2: he's a hesitant watcher. Um, he's a hesitant watcher. I was actually more excited, like that I got to put in so many Andrew jokes. Yes, yes. He was one of the late season, you know, additions that I I really got attached to. And um, my editor was at one point. She's like, "Do you think you have too many Andrew jokes?" I'm like, "There is no such thing. <laughs>
0: Never have too no? many Andrew jokes.
2: No. You <laughs> think you have too many like love triangles? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Four. Yeah. I I don't want to make my editor sound like a wet blanket. She's actually quite." quite brilliant she restructured the whole that's book that's the editor's yeah. job
0: is to ask you the hard questions
2: yes mm-hmm. <laughs> the editor's yeah. job is
1: to be the wet blanket <laughs> <laughs> do you have any last questions to ask Kara?
0: yeah well i just wanted to kind of give you a chance to talk about some of your non-buffy writing yeah um I, i'm curious like kind of how did you get into writing as something you wanted to do as a profession and um what books of yours do you want to plug
2: oh <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh Uh, I've, I've always been a reader, like the voracious kind of reader. Uh, My mom used to take me to the public library and I'd fill up my little canvas bag and make her read me like the same five unicorn books on repeat (laughs) for every day of the summer, the poor woman. But, and I think that over time, loving stories that much just kind of lent itself to, hey, maybe I would like to tell my own and maybe I can even tell my own. And Um, I always wanted to be a writer, but I never thought it'd be a career path. You know, it felt like, oh, I I also want to play center for the Boston Celtics. It's just not going to happen. So I should just let it go. Mm
1: -hmm. But it
2: was always my secret dream. And luckily, um, you know, it's it's worked out. I went to college for something completely different, worked in an office, worked in a cubicle for as long as I could stand it. And then um, politely asked my parents if I could try writing and live with them forever. (laughs) and they said sure because they're great and clingy that way um but as luck would have it it worked out and I don't mean right away I was toiling away in the in the submission trenches for several years before anything started to sell but yeah so that's how I came into writing and as for what books I have coming up Um, If you're into vampires or possible vampires, I did just release a novel called All These Bodies. That came out in September. It is kind of a riff on In Cold Blood meets vampires meets the spree killings of Charlie Starkweather in 1958. Uh, It's about a string of murders that rips through the Midwest in the 1950s and a girl found drenched in blood in the middle of one of those murder scenes and she will only tell her story to the sheriff's son who wants to be a journalist Mm. uh recently found out that it's a finalist for the bram stoker award which wow (laughs) i'm so excited about congratulations i've never been a finalist before i've made the long (laughs) balance but i've never made it to the finals so i'm really excited
0: finally you're close enough to feel what it's like when you lose
2: I can reach out and touch You've the loss. you never got that far before. Right, it's right in front of me, that losing feeling. Well, it's something that we can vote on. Like, can we go in there and vote? Oh, no. I, I wish. Um, yeah, I wish too. It's the Horror Writers Association. And I actually, I can't even vote for myself because I let my membership lapse last year. How could you do that? Big mistake. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, my timing. It's It's the worst. Uh, so that's all. These bodies is my most recent novel, and then in two years, or I guess a year and a half now, in fall of 2023, I have a new fantasy series starting that I have codenamed Amazon Jedi's because I think if you liked the Wonder Woman Amazons and the Order of the Jedi, you know, the Jedi Order, you'll like the book. It's Ooh. that won't be its real yeah. title, obviously, copyright. <laughs> <laughs> but until I come up with a title that is actually not terrible. That's what I'm calling it, just to give you the vibe. I love it.
1: What I am really hearing, though, from what you just said, is that quit your office job now and follow your dreams to success as a writer. By moving
2: yes. in with your parents. Yeah. Move in with your parents now. Get them used to the idea. <laughs> be prepared to stay for years. But yeah, yeah. The dream. if you want to be a writer. I mean, it's. I mean, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. It'll just keep bothering you until you give it a go. So, Aww. yeah, just go in and and submit. Put yourself out there.
1: That's great advice. I have one more question, Car, I don't know if you have any more questions, but I have one more. And is, have I been staring at Pickle Rick behind you this whole time?
2: Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. He also has a, a Thanksgiving turkey hat on. <laughs> because I didn't have anywhere else to put it. So I love he's... it. I couldn't be sure. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Pickle Rick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty big, um, Rick and Morty fans in my house. And actually my house is kind of long and green. So we call our house Pickle Rick. I love it. It's kind of our mascot. I'm obsessed.
1: That should be your <laughs> next,
2: uh, franchise that you write for. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm nowhere near devious enough. I love that show. So, well, so what,
0: are, what are some other properties that you would love to write for? Yeah. Like Blue Sky, if they came knocking on your door, you'd be like, yes, in a heartbeat.
2: Actually, um, Buffy's really one of the only ones. I, I'd been approached to write for other IPs before, and it never worked out for one reason or another. And also, I just never felt like either, either I felt like I wasn't enough of a fan, like I didn't deserve to write in that fandom. And I just shouldn't. It should be left to somebody else. Or I really wasn't a fan, and I couldn't do it because I felt like you need to be a fan to do this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, but there are only about two. I did write a short short story for the X Files, um, which was semi official for IDW, but I was so nervous and so intimidated that I barely put Mulder and Scully in it at all, <laughs> and just focused on the case. It, it was I was not ready.
0: I, I yeah, huge props to fanfic writers in general. I don't write fanfic. I only write OPs or sorry OCs because um, I have so much trouble putting myself into other people's universes.
2: It's scary. It's very weird. Uh, so, if not Buffy, the only other one that I would ever even consider or consider myself, you know, qualified to do it would be Gargoyles. Oh I my god! Cartoon show? Oh, wow!
0: I see that. Yeah.
2: Wow! I love that show. I was obsessed with that show. Yeah.
0: I mean, we need a reboot in there. There's so many Star Trek: The Next Generation actors in that show.
2: In Gargoyles. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Vanitos, um, that was it's just. Frakes. We need a reboot
0: because yeah. they can just reprise their roles. They've aged, but that doesn't matter. Their voices are still good.
2: <laughs> oh, I would live for a for another Gargoyles series. Oh. <laughs> and
0: then we can do a Buffy Gargoyles crossover.
1: Crossover and then a Gargoyles Rewatch <laughs> podcast. podcast. perfect, yeah. We'll call it Amazon Jedis. Well, this is good. Our next several years are just planned out. That's All Disney awesome. has to do is make it happen. They're listening. They're listening <laughs> to us. So oh, yeah. they're working on it right now. They're getting their lawyers in, in line.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for coming on our podcast, Kendara. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're excited for book two. You know, I yes. was not sure what to expect when I read this book, and... I'm a very critical reviewer. Sometimes I hope you didn't read my review. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to book two. Like I gotta say, you have you have sold me on this iteration of Buffy. I want to see book two. I don't know what other plans Disney has cooked up for these characters in this particular AU or whatever, but I am. There
2: will there. at least be so. book three because it's a it's a planned trilogy, and I definitely didn't get to the end of the answers at at the end of book two. But thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on and, and letting me geek out about Buffy with you for an hour. And Kara, if I did read your review, I appreciate it. I appreciate every review. Just that reviewers take the time to analyze and put their thoughts down and you know, they're just doing it for the love of books. It's not like it's not like they're being paid or anything. So I am very, very, very grateful that you left. So thank you so much.
1: We're <laughs> grateful for the, the taste of Buffy that you've given us in every generation. And we're thankful for having you on the podcast. Thank you so much.
2: Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options.
1: We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week.
0: We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels.
1: Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter.
0: You can also reach out to our email at proxygirlspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or visit our website, proxygirls.ca. See you next week.
1: Bye.